if you unpack intentions, they're made up of your values and your beliefs. You only intend to do something if you if that's what you're the value that guides you or it's the belief that's behind it. So I started to believe 100% that I was a non-drinker. And non-drinkers, they don't drink. They live a healthy lifestyle. And they, they do things like get up early and go for walks and do stuff like that. And they enjoy their lives and they live in the present and they meditate. And so I started doing all these things because I had the intention of being a non-drinker. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 145. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We've just finished our five-day boot camp. It was a great success. We met lots of lovely people who engaged with our intensive training and they made valuable connections. If you missed out, then just look for the Sobriety Bootcamp Facebook group and ask to join. That way you'll be all set for notifications about the next bootcamp in a couple of months' time. On day five, we did offer our bootcampers a special 20% discount on annual membership. We're extending that to our podcast listeners, so just go to tribesober.com, hit join our tribe and use the coupon BOOTCAMP. So let's get to this week's podcast guest. Nigel Jones is the founder of Nine Kilometres Before 9am, which is exactly what he's been doing ever since he decided to quit drinking. He's now two years sober and he's written a book called Walking Back to Happiness, a title which perfectly describes the feeling we get as we begin to thrive in our sobriety. Nigel's professional background is in marketing and PR, so he has a deep understanding of the power of messaging and the effect it has on our subconscious mind. He points out that we are, in effect, being groomed by the liquor industry from a very early age to be a loyal and lifelong consumer. I began our conversation by asking Nigel to introduce himself. Hi, Janet. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I'm Nigel. I'm in my mid-50s, and I'm the author of a book called Walking Back to Happiness, The Secret to Alcohol-Free Living and Wellbeing, which uh, I published uh, about a couple of months ago. Nice. Oh, well, we'll talk about that a bit later. So let's dive into the drinking, shall we, Nigel? Were you a teenage drinker like me? Is that how it all started? Where did it start? I I suppose the first time uh, I had a drink was probably around about the age of 13 or 14. And it was around a, 
an older friend's house who would have been maybe two years older than me. And I, 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 he, he, he uh, introduced me to the world of Scrumpy, uh, which was you know, sort, of, sort of like a, a, a hoochie sort of cider. And I think I had like, uh, it was disgusting, you know, the first drink of it was like, oh my God, this tastes horrible. And I think I had about two or three pints of the stuff and really, it, I just felt dreadful. It was like, you know, I'd been poisoned. Um, you but, had. You know, yeah, I had, yeah. But, you know, I, I sort of remember going home and like trying to sort of uh, creep in and being, you know, sick everywhere. It was just pretty disgusting, actually. Uh, but yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? How you can you can get um, have a, such a bad experience on something, but then make yourself like I it. I know we persevere, don't we? Oh God, it was really difficult. But you know, I got there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like that old saying, isn't it? Like you know, get, people who drink Guinness, they say, oh, Guinness, oh, it tastes horrible. It's acquired taste. But if you acquired, yeah. Stick at it and you'll really get into it. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, let me sort of taste that horrible taste for ages before I really like it. But so, so yeah, I think, you know, early on it was um, the, the drinks with my my friend. And then it was uh, when I reached the age of about 16, 17, it was like going to youth club discos and stuff at the village hall. You know, the, the, the other kids, you know, or friends of mine, we, we try and buy um some cans of lager or something and sort of you know started drinking that way and it, w- it wasn't a lot at all it wasn't like everyday drinking as, as, a, as a teenager but as I got to the sixth form and did my A levels people had 18th birthday parties and so you tended to go to those in the town um there was probably one a week you know because of the, all, all the kids had different birthdays during the year and you always drank at one of those those nightclubs so uh, and then going to university, that's when it started to become like a, a daily thing for me. Uh, so at the age of 18, I, I, I moved to London. That's when the party started, I suppose. And yeah, the, the, it became like a, a daily thing. And the, the job or the career I went into was was in the marketing world and into the large PR companies and advertising agencies where, where it was just, it was baked into the job. I mean, basically... Yeah. You, you wouldn't go very far in in the business unless you were out drinking with the clients or your bosses or your or, or, yeah. your, or your colleagues so yeah so and it was free you know literally yeah. so um I'd be you know at hospitality events you know entertaining clients and literally the champagne or whatever it was was on tap so uh it was just one of those things that just wove its way into my life uh slowly uh steadily but surely o- over over the years and you know I drank for the best part of 35 36 years and it and it wasn't until that day in December the age of 54 that you know I I was enlightened on the road to Damascus yeah yeah that that corporate thing you know I had a corporate career as well and uh, I can remember in my 20s I used to work at the BBC and one of my bosses took me aside and he said you know, my dear, we don't see you in the BBC club very often. You know, I, th- I think you should come down and do some more networking. And, you know, I really wasn't into it, but I did. You know, I forced myself to socialise yeah. more, drank. And I think every corporate that I've worked for, there's always been this kind of work hard, play hard thing going on. You know, you had to work bloody hard, long hours, etc. do a great job. And then you had to go out drinking, you know, with clients or colleagues or somebody. It's it's really a thing, isn't it? And it's it's dreadful because some people struggle to get on in their careers because they don't drink and it shouldn't be like that. Because if anything, I believe now, 
that I've been sober for seven years, I believe that sobriety gives you an edge. You know, it's the sober people that are going to do a better job than the ones with hangovers every day. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's like a superpower that you just yeah. acquire as soon as you stop drinking. I mean, it's uh, it's almost like you've got that extra three or four percent, uh, and that's enough to actually make you quicker, more alert, um, yeah. more astute. Uh, you have clarity in your life. Everything just comes, you know, becomes. It's more clear. Everything is clear, and and it's like it really is a superpower. I think. Yeah. And the shocking thing is that when we're drinkers, you know, like you, I was a drinker for decades, you just get used to feeling a bit below par, don't you? I mean, I, I used to think, oh, well, it's because I'm getting older that I'm tired all the time. But, but now I'm even older and I'm full of beans. You know, it, it's oh, yeah. a superpower, never, as you say. Felt, I've never felt this young, you know, for ages. <laughs> I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm mid 50s and I feel as if I'm in my 20s. I mean, yeah. I, I walk over 350 kilometers a month. I, you know, I want to do it. I'm really, really up for doing that. And uh, and just life has just completely changed. It's sort of like yeah. I've, got my, I've got my mojo back. Yeah, yeah. Got your groove back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just imagine if uh, Big Pharma produced a, a very expensive pill that gave you that feeling. I mean, it would it would be sold out within hours, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, they delude you by calling it alcohol, but it's not the truth. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. No, it yeah. does the opposite. It does but, the opposite. But that, that still does exist, and it's called alcohol-free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, see, we're definitely on the same page. We're both uh, sobriety advocates, I think they call us. <laughs> yeah, completely. That's the polite way of putting it anyway. <laughs> yes. We really get on some people's nerves, I can tell you that. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. So tell me more about that time, you know, when you decided I'm not doing this anymore. How did that process evolve in your mind? Yeah, I think it'd been it'd been playing out for many years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I I really knew deep down yeah. that alcohol was bad for me. It's, I, I call it like the ambivalence of alcohol. You know, you, you, you it's almost like uh, you, you say it's fun, but it's not. You, you say, oh, you know, I, I, I need it to be social and to get on in my in my work and my career. Really, I mean, it's like a limiting belief, really. That yeah. you, you you start believing because you want to believe it because it's so you believe it's really difficult to leave the tribe of alcohol drinkers. Cause I, yeah. I, I, in my book, I talk about the tribalism of this and it's, it's so tribal. It's unbelievable. It's like, if you stick your hand up and say, you know, Oh, I'm not drinking anymore. Then you're really holding a mirror up to all the people who do drink. And they, they look at you and they think, well, well, why is he not drinking? It, was he drinking too much? Oh, he must have had a problem because it, they can't possibly have a problem. So I must have a problem. That's the reason why I'm stopping. And so if you leave the tribe, basically, you know, in old in old times, if you if you left the tribe, you die because, you know, the mm. tribe protects you. Yeah. Um, so what you need to do and what I did and uh, was leaving the alcohol drinkers tribe. Really, I needed to join another tribe immediately. Uh, and, and that and that tribe was basically other people who, who don't drink, which I call the alcohol free drinkers, the alcohol free tribe. And yeah, it's, if you surround yourself with other people who are on the same wavelength, then the whole journey becomes a lot more uh, fun and exciting. And and the new the new you or the new alcohol free you can can sort of flourish much much quicker. 
Yeah, yeah. And there's such a feeling of joy amongst that community because everybody's going through this transformation, you know, that we've been through. And, you know, I called my thing tribe sober. I so believe um, you about the tribe thing because cutting away from the tribe, you know, if you think of the animals, they make themselves really vulnerable, don't they, when they do that. So it's yeah. it goes against the grain to do that. It takes courage and confidence, I tell people, to do it, you know, to cope with all those, oh, why aren't you drinking? What's wrong with you? And, you know, people people are always, you know, asking me, well, what's the worst thing you ever did? You know, they really want these, these gruesome stories so that they can say, oh, well, I'm not like her. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the few drugs where you have to actually, you know, you have to justify why yeah. you swapped it. It's like oh, no. stopping cocaine and saying, well, why have you done that? Is there something wrong with you? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it's frightening, the grip it's got over society. You talked about limiting beliefs then, which I'm a great believer in the limiting beliefs. And I think, you know, you talked about having this thought that you need to stop for years. So did I. But we have this inner struggle, don't we? We've got the voice saying, you're drinking too much, you've got to do something about it. And then you've got the limiting beliefs that say things like, well, how am I going to have fun? You know, I'm going to lose all my friends. How will I relax? How will I cope with my stress? So I used to have these voices in my head. <laughs> it was quite <laughs> scary. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for, for me, so this, this whole uh, journey of, of drinking for 36 years was like, um, there was there were thousands of day ones for me where I, I, I tried to stop. Um, you know, I really wanted to go on a, uh, a like at least a week or a month and to, to stop drinking because um, I knew it was bad for me. Um, and I really never, very rarely got past day one. Um, and the longest I went not drinking was six days in in, in thirty five years. And you know, the, the funny or not so funny thing about it was I rewarded myself with, with a drink after I got. <laughs> six days or so oh that was really good but you know it built up and built up and, and as you get older and older you know your body really can't take it anymore and it was I was at a point whereby you know I wasn't sleeping well I was I had anxiety I was getting up in the middle of the night to go to the loo you know I was worried about the past or the future and, and this is all brought on by by alcohol yeah it, it really takes you away from the present moment so yeah more so than than any other drug, I think. Well, the, the, the one, the major, the major sort of stimulant I was taking that takes you out of the out of the present. So people take it to think, oh, they're relaxing or they're going to have a, have a drink just to sort of take the troubles of the day away. But actually, what it's doing is it's actually making your life much much worse and actually fueling or stoking the fire of anxiety. And you know, the way to look at this is is really when when you drink, you actually leave the present moment. You cannot be present on alcohol because basically what it does to you, it stimulates you and it takes you somewhere else. So, so the idea is, is that you you leave the reality of where you are and go somewhere else. That's the plan with alcohol. And for me, that really was just, you know, I, that had to stop. And, and, I, and I knew that the whole thing about boozing was just really, really, it, it, the time had come to actually say, right, I need to call this a day otherwise I just won't make it to age 60. You know, I'm not going to live much longer if I if I keep drinking this way. On this morning, a Monday morning in December, just decided that was it. Well, I approached it from a completely different angle. So I decided that I'm, I'd failed so many times to stop drinking by the, the old method I was using, which was willpower, basically 
which and and it, and it started with I always believed I was a drinker trying to be a non-drinker. So this time I was on day one a non-drinker, being a non-drinker, and and that is a game changer because I, and I relate it to a mountain whereby if you start the journey at the bottom of the mountain uh, and the top of the mountain is where you want to be, i.e. the non-drinker, you, you've really got a massive uphill climb and it, and it psychologically is a long way away and it's going to be hard to get there. But if you start the journey at the top of the mountain, i.e. today, click your fingers, I am a non-drinker, then you're already there. And, and if you're already there, there's it's not you're not trying to get there. You are it. But you need to start believing that 100 percent. And it's almost impossible to believe it 100 percent on day one. But if you can get to like maybe 75, 80 on day one, which is I think is possible. And that's what I did. Then you can use the next sort of 28 days or whatever or the first month to to close the door tighter and tighter on alcohol or being a drinker. And I used I used lots of philosophy to actually get my head around this. And one of the things that really stood out for me was the the power of intention, which is a uh, an Asian teaching which says that everything we do, every act that we do has has an intention behind it. So picking up a drink is an intention. Going for a run is an intention. You know, being a vegetarian is an intention. You know, everything, everything, whatever you do has an intention. So the power of intentions or understanding intentions is very important because the the the, the philosophy goes, what you intend to do becomes the deed. The deed becomes the habit. The habit becomes the character and the character can become the destiny. So from one simple thing like having a drink, that can fast become your future and your destiny and who <laughs> you are, your identity. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was my identity. So I thought, no, I'm getting rid of this. I do not want to be identified as someone who drinks. So my, the power of intention for me, if I unpacked, if you unpack intentions, they're made up of your values and your beliefs. You only intend to do something if you, if that's what you're the value that guides you or it's the belief that's behind it. So I, started to believe 100% that I was a non-drinker. And non-drinkers, they don't drink, they live a healthy lifestyle, and they they do things like get up early and go for walks and do stuff like that, and they enjoy their lives and they they live in the present and they meditate. And so I started doing all these things because I had the intention of being a non-drinker and the values, which I had already, but now I wanted to focus them more in on health, on learning, on connection, and really, really focus on those. So you've you kind of created a new identity. I mean, as you say, being a drinker becomes part of your identity and it almost defines your social circle, etc. So yes. yeah, reinventing yourself. And then, you know, the values that come with that, the values of having a healthy lifestyle, perhaps it's it it's different. And I think you know, I, I love that approach. And I think even if at the beginning, 
some people, maybe you didn't, but some people might have to fake it until they make it. <laughs> it's going to stick because gradually you'll feel better and better. And I always say to people, it's so hard at the beginning for some of us because we're not experiencing a lot of benefits yet. But if you can just keep going for a few weeks, you know, as you say, you want to get up in the morning and you've got more energy and your mind starts clearing those benefits then kind of propel you to go for further. Yeah, I mean, you talked earlier on about two voices in your head. I mean, this this exactly is what happened to me. So I, I looked at them as two wolves fighting, basically. So you, <laughs> you, you I, I, I sort of like, I've got a sort of very picture sort of focused way of thinking. But um, so, so on one side, you've got the old the old wolf, which is, I suppose, the uh, you know the, the one that's the craving wolf that's saying go on, you've done three days, have a drink, it's good for you. And then you've got the, the new... The wine witch, we call that. <laughs> yeah. Or you've got, or you've got the, new, the, the new sort of wolf who's uh, the, I call the willpower wolf. And, and by that, I don't mean sort of like cold turkey willpower. I mean, it's the sort of new you who wants to stick by his new identity, his new values and his new way of living. And they fight each other. Um, and, and really what it boils down to, and there's no other, uh, this is the truth of the matter, the, the wolf that wins is the one that you feed. So, so yeah. if, I, if I literally want the willpower wolf, the new wolf to win, then I really have to believe that he's going to win. And, and, and so how do I do that? I, I feed it with intentions of good intentions. Uh, as soon as you start feeding the other wolf, you know, bang, you're out of it. You, you've fallen off the wagon. Yeah. And you can feed that wolf by reading, you know, stuff like your book and listening to podcasts and, exactly. and that's how, and talking to other people on this journey. That That's how you feed it. Completely. Yeah, exa yeah. that's exactly it. It's, it's reading quick literature. It's it's t talking to other people who are going on the journey. Yeah, completely. Yeah. So how was your first year? You make it sound pretty easy. Was it easy? Uh, well, I think, you know, easy is a really subjective word. I, I mean, it, it's what does that mean? I mean, it's like for me, it was it was hard work. I had to work hard at it. I, I would like to think it was easy because if I start thinking it's not easy, I'm starting to sort of build the story for like alcohol. And I uh, I, I always try to say, right, well, no, I'm not going to give it any any speech whatsoever. There's no platform for this stuff in my mind. So so, yeah, I, I would argue it was easy. But e easy was a lot of hard work. Uh, you know, I, you know, you you do have to stick at it. You do have to really work it and believe it. But you do see the massive fits uh, almost immediately. Um, yeah. on, on day two, you, you feel so much better. By day by day seven, you're a new person. I mean, this stuff has almost left your body. I was talking to someone the other day about was there a breaking point in the first. Uh, I, that I could have like left the path in the first in the first month. I, I stopped drinking on, on December the eighth, so it was probably one of the toughest months you could argue to stop because you know December is is a license to drink, and everybody drinks in December. So if you are a drinker, you know it's great because wow, I can drink as much as I want now, and no one's going to look at me as, as drinking loads because everyone's drinking. So anyway, I found myself in a uh, in the UK. There's this supermarket well it's a shop called marks and spencers and they do they do um really nice sort of bottles of port for christmas and uh i'd always bought you know one or two bottles of port from marks and spencers at christmas time so i was standing in the aisle on day 10 looking at the port 
<laughs> thinking, oh my God, that looks great. I, I, <laughs> I always buy port at Christmas. You know, it was, this was, this probably only lasted maybe five seconds, but it just felt yeah. like a lifetime. For me, that was the point where I literally turned away from it and got a bottle of non-secco, paid and got out of the shop. But it was a real win because that was the worst. I, I knew that I, if I'd got over that and I beat it, then I, I didn't feed the wolf that time. I fed the other wolf and literally uh, I, I, I was a winner. I got yeah. out. I, I succeeded. So therefore, there would never, ever be a craving that bad again. That, that yeah. was the worst one. And I did it. So therefore, any new craving for me was like easier and it was, they slowly became less and less and less. And they finally, you know, they go away after about, after about six months, you don't get any at all. After, after three months, you might get like a couple a day, you know, but they go and I'm going to get any in year, in year two. You just, I just don't even, I don't even uh, get cravings about alcohol at all. And I don't even think about it. Yeah. And every time we resist one of those cravings, we get stronger, don't we? And it gets easier to do that uh, next time. I'm, I'm envisaging your two wolves and I'm thinking of every time you kind of resist something that the drinking wolf is kind of getting a bit wilted and a bit thinner and a bit weaker looking. It's a great analogy. And the yeah, other one, which was away. a little baby one, the, <laughs> the alcohol-free wolf was a little baby really. And now it's growing and growing and ready to fight the old, the old uh, rattled looking one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I think I think the bigger that alcohol-free wolf gets, the, the less chance there is of, you know, the old one ever coming back or it having, you know, puppies that will grow or whatever, you know, taking the analogy even further. But um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, that old wolf is just not there anymore. I mean, I just, I, it, it probably is somewhere at the back of my mind. I, I think I think probably it's Christmas that is the time really that uh, – I, I had a, a, a craving like uh, in 13 months in at Christmas again. It was sort of, it, it was like sit, uh, sitting in front of a, an open log fire. And I, I'd normally in drinking days would probably sat there with like a, a large Remy Martin or something like that. And it was sort of like, but it's crazy really. It's absolute rubbish um, to actually romanticize that because it is a glass of poison at the end of the day. And yeah, so yeah. once you realize that, I mean, I, I you know, you, you just don't go back to it. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Let's talk about that a bit, the the romanticization as you called it i mean we've been manipulated haven't we for decades and it makes me really angry sometimes you know especially us women with the wine you know the wine industry apparently you know you're a marketing guy so you you might un get this but i was told by someone who i believe that 25 years ago there was a kind of summit an international alcohol summit you know all the the suppliers and everybody that was in the business and they all got together and they were they were troubleshooting because they'd noticed that the beer sales were going down a bit and they weren't making you know quite such huge profits as they were used to so they were brainstorming what can they do 
And they decided that they have to target women because women aren't drinking enough, you know. So they decided that they have to make wine, you know, attractive and glamorous and trendy. And it worked like a dream, you know. It's, they've been stunningly successful because most women, you know, they, we think that wine is something almost essential to our lives. We pick it up in the supermarket with our groceries. It's crazy. I, I worked in that industry. I still work in that industry, um, you know, for over 25 years in, like, in big agencies. And, yeah, I mean, the stuff that goes on, the, the way the way that campaigns are designed to manipulate emotions and, and get people to basically change their perceptions about stuff. Public relations, the core of it is basically changing people's perceptions about brands. Uh, yeah. On the on the, the the fast moving consumer goods side of stuff, when anything really, even in corporate, so yeah, I mean, there's some great examples. You know, there's, there's a good one. You know, I, I, I've mentioned Guinness already since like an advert for Guinness, but they they ran a, an advertising campaign in the 50s called Guinness is Good for You. I know, and it was targeted at pregnant women. And, and, and can you imagine that? Right, and it was basically. Uh, if you, I suppose, if you Google it, it'll come up. But it was basically a picture of a pregnant woman, and the the promotion was, you know, if you drink drink a half a pint of this stuff, and it will be good for your baby. Oh, <laughs> shocking, <laughs> shocking. You know, there are still the older generation still believe that. Like my mother is in her nineties and believes Guinness is good for you, and wow. and it's but it's like so subliminal. And, and so, you know, it must you know, people take these messages that come from, you know, big advertisers as gospel and everybody's in on it. You know, the, the government makes billions of pounds through the tax, you know, uh, which comes from alcohol each year. So it's uh, it, it's it's crazy. So, yeah, we're, we're fighting, you know, um, a big machine. And but the you know, the good news is there are, uh, you know, Generation Z or, you know, the, the younger generation born after 1998, 99, less of them are drinking. And in marketing, there's a term called the pig in the python. I don't know if you've heard of this. No, but, tell me. So if you think of a, a, a python, if it swallows a pig, um, it, the pig will move along its body, getting slowly smaller and smaller as it digests it. So, so effectively, alcohol uh, is the people. The amount of people who drink, if you assume them as as the pig, and the python is time, is literally getting smaller and smaller and smaller as time moves on. Because the new people coming in, the Generation Zs, the young kids, are not drinking as much. So the the number of people who are drinking is slowly going down, just like the number of smokers went down. So if it, the pig in the python for smoking it is now quite small, and it's towards the tail end of the python. Alcohol is still quite big at the at the front end, but it's getting smaller. So you, we are seeing, you know, a, a decrease in the number of drinkers. I mean, there was a story in Japan recently about the Japanese government are promoting alcohol to younger people because I saw that there was a competition, wasn't there? Oh my God, it's just shocking. Wait, but uh, you know, can't they? At least they put their cards on the table and just up front about it. I mean, but that's what's going on everywhere. But they, yeah, they, they, yeah. they just open about it. Yeah. Well, it was quite interesting the way the cigarette thing evolved, wasn't there? Because I, I can remember doctors in white coats telling us, you know, we must smoke this brand or that brand. You know, there the yes. were adverts everywhere. But f from my understanding, as soon as they stopped, as they banned alcohol, uh, they banned cigarette advertising, didn't they, in the UK, like decades ago. And when that happened, suddenly 
in the public domain, we learned that, that cigarettes caused lung cancer. Because yeah. I still remember reading that in the paper. I'd been smoking 10 years. I was about 30. And I thought, oh, my God, cigarettes caused lung cancer. I had no idea. And neither did anybody, really. And once we discovered just how bad it was, we, we stopped. And I wonder if that will ever happen with alcohol. It's going to be a slower process because it's so it's so ingrained in the, to the social side of life. I mean, it's 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 because everybody's doing it. But 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 like anything, as more people stop to do it, you know, and and then the, the other community grows, the non-drinking community grows, and it becomes less of a taboo to have an alcohol-free drink or to say I'm not drinking. Then then it will turn, and I think it is turning with younger people. You just you know, this it's actually really good to see that there's so many people under 25 who are yeah. drinking anymore they just don't do yeah it. i've read that i think i read a stat in the uk uh between 18 and 25 it's about a quarter of people don't drink at all yeah it so, is 25 uh, yeah it's crazy yeah it's great yeah. great yeah yeah it's impressive and i think another positive sign is uh, the number of alcohol free drinks that are around cuz i gave up 7 years ago and there was nothing you know there was no choice and that used to make me even more grumpy because i had to drink cold you know coke or water or something when i go out but now so much choice yeah and what we're going to see a lot of and we already are seeing it is is a lot of this alcohol free zero um advertising around large sporting events because Basically, um, as alcohol advertising becomes uh, even more banned <laughs> or, or rare, the, the, the alcohol brands actually use their zero brands to advertise themselves. So even if you see the word Heineken zero over a Formula One track, subliminally, you're getting a Heineken message. So, so oh, it doesn't yeah. matter whether it's zero or not. Heineken is there. Oh, oh. Heineken is there. I'd never thought of that, you know, because I oh. saw that. At some sporting thing, and I thought, "Oh, hooray!" <laughs> you, you, you would look at it like that because you're yeah. a non-drinker. But someone who drinks Heineken wouldn't see that. They would see Heineken. They wouldn't see the zero. <laughs> well, they wouldn't want to see it, but they'd see Heineken, and, and they'd go, "Oh, Heineken makes a zero. I like, I like the five percent one." <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. I was at, I was at the airport um, uh, about a month ago, and there was. Um, Tanqueray, which is, I think, is still owned by United Distillers, uh, the people who make Gordon's Gin, had a massive billboard ad, and it said, Tanqueray Zero, now you can remember your holiday. <laughs> well, that's very honest of them, isn't it? <laughs> it was, but, you know, it was at the same time, it, it, you know, you look at it and you think, wow, that's good, it's, it is turning, but it still is an advert for Tanqueray. Yeah, yeah. And people, you know, you just make a joke of it. I mean, that's how I kind of survived my my drinking stories. We just used to laugh, you know, about what happened the night before. And, yeah. you know, nobody really felt bad about it. We'd struggle into work feeling fragile and just kind of cheer each other up. Oh, yeah, it was a great night if you felt like death. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was the sign, wasn't it? I mean, if you woke up all chirpy, you'd think, oh. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that it's was... in hospital, you know. Oh, great, it must have been a great night. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, you've been alcohol free for nearly two years now, isn't it? So yeah, two years in December, yeah. Congratulations, first Thank of you. all. Secondly, um, you talked about doing the work and that it is hard work. Uh, what are you doing these days to sustain your sobriety? Well, I mean, I've always I've always had just three daily goals. Um, and, and that's really everything that those are the only goals I have. 
and I've not changed them at all. And that they're, they're basically to the first one is to get up at five o'clock or between five and five thirty, five thirty the latest, and go for a walk. Really, the goal is just to get up at five between five and five thirty because if I'm up at that time, I just go for a walk because well, what else is there to do at five thirty? So, so uh, that's goal number one. And I I normally walk nine kilometers before nine o'clock. Goal number two is to meditate, and I do at least fifteen minutes a day. And I actually do that when I'm walking down the down the country lanes or, or through the woods or wherever it is I go walking. So um, you don't have to sit in a lotus position uh, to meditate. You know, you you literally it's all about you know getting mindful and quietening your mind, listening to the sounds of nature, being there at the sunrise, being in the forest, forest bathing, all that all that stuff. And and honestly, that is the game changer. That really is. There is nothing better than that to change your change your mind change your thoughts, control what you're thinking. So that's goal number two. And goal number three is just don't drink alcohol today. And you know what, that that one's just, I don't even think about that because I just don't even want to drink alcohol today uh, or any day. So so those are the only three goals I have and and everything falls into place. Yeah, I love that. I love the simplicity of it. And uh, I think, as you say, you know, maybe not everybody wants to get up and go out and walk, but people can get up early and meditate, you know, for a little while or do yoga or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't under understate, you know, the power of the mindfulness. I mean, when I started doing this, I really didn't get what it meant. You know, it was like, it was like, oh, God, yeah, that, that is something you do sitting in a lotus position. It, it's a bit, you know, blokes don't meditate you know what what the hell is that and and literally, it, woo woo but it's yeah it is like that initially but once you get into it and you understand what it is i just didn't understand it so but it's it's literally a, it's like it's like a gym for your mind it's a workout for your mind and and so so the best way i can explain it is is you know we we have something like sixty thousand individual thoughts that fly through our heads every day every single day and so that's like over one a second. Uh, and, and so if you think about it, you know, you've got all this rubbish just going through your head and there's no space or no time at all. I mean, your, your mind is flat out, really, really battling with all these different like thoughts. And some of them are thoughts, some of them are sounds, some of them are videos. They're all stuff going on in your head. And so what mindfulness does is or what meditation does is that it's the way to get mindful is is basically try to find you try, it helps you find the space between those thoughts. So if you can calm your mind and you can do that through breathing slowly, starting to think less, so you can just throw the thoughts out. You're actually giving your mind a workout. You're, you're building the mind muscle. And if you do it regularly enough, say 15 minutes a day before, over like a month, two months, all of a sudden you'll start to react in a different way to things because you're not worried or stressed or thinking quickly. You're not, and you're you're not in the past. You're not thinking about all the rubbish that's gone before or fretting about the future. You're actually in the now. And what mindfulness does, it actually makes you more present. And so a great way to do that is to walk out into a park, down a country path, and just listen to the birds or listen to the sounds around you. And it's amazing how many sounds there are just there, which you would normally wouldn't even know about. You know, there, there's, there's there's about 20 types of birds. There's sort of like, there's the sound of rain, the sound of the grass, your footprints, a dog's footprints, like a horn in the background, a train going past. There's loads of stuff. And what you're actually doing is you're training yourself to actually 
think to listen to the things or be aware of the things that are actually there now and and not not that uh you've made up uh, about the past or made up about the future yeah. but you're actually yeah. present and, yeah. and doing that regularly makes you respond to people as opposed to react to people yeah so if someone say you know cuts in front of you in a car and beeps their horn the old sort of drinking me might have gone into a road, some form of road rage. You go, oh, what the hell are they up to? But now it's, you know, you, you just, it doesn't matter. It's no. almost like I might think, oh, he must be in a rush. Something must be wrong with that guy's life. You know, I just don't care. It's, it's nothing to do with me. Uh, yeah. and, and so it's it's amazing. But that works in everything. It works the way you deal with, with your family, with your connections, with your work colleagues. With cravings. Uh, Everything, every thought that comes into your mind can be dealt with and, and actually assessed in a much better manner if you are mindful. Yeah. And and it's and that really means being in the present. So a, a great way I think about this is 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 your body can only ever be in the present. Your body cannot be in the future now. It, it's, you can only be here. The only thing that moves to the past or the future are your thoughts. So if you're worrying about the future, you've left your body in a way. Yeah, and you're yeah. thinking about something else. Uh, and that's crazy. So if you can yeah. control that, you, you have a better life. In fact, yeah. you can double or even treble the amount of time you have on the planet because you're not in the future. Yeah. Ask your now. <laughs> Great point. Oh, you made an excellent case there. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Top three benefits of sobriety, please. There are so many. If I had to pick three, it would be feeling present or understanding the beauty and the power of presence, which, which is, the, I suppose, the clarity that being alcohol-free gives you. That's definitely in the top three. The health benefits are huge. I mean, just respecting your body more, because simply by not putting the poison in your mouth. <laughs> because you, you've lost a lot of weight, haven't you? Let me ask you about that. Because yeah, people that, are always saying to me, when am I going to lose weight? <laughs> about four and a half stone. Yeah, I was I was seven, almost 18 stones, 17, uh, whatever it was, 17, 11, something like that. I don't actually know what I am now, but I know it's. A, I know I've lost a lot. I'm down to about thirteen-ish, and and I'm still going south on it. But again, my goal is not to lose weight because I think if mm. it was, I wouldn't do it. Um, my, my, I only have three goals, like I said. So get up and go for a walk, meditate, and don't drink. And literally, those three get me to the moon. You know, so so I, I, I'm. They're only steps, but I, I, it's the consistency or the trajectory they put me on. So, yeah. so th those three actually put me on this this plane that gets me to the moon, um, but it's a it's a slow journey. But I enjoy mm -hmm. the journey, um, and so uh, yeah. So num number two is understanding or being more respectful of your body, therefore being healthier. I think just by stopping drinking, everything changes. Yeah, so, so I agree. You, I'm 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 a vegetarian now. I mean, I'm almost fully plant based. Um, you know, I would I would never have thought I'd be there like two years ago. But it's like I stopped eating meat because I just decided, you know, because I was a non, I not drank alcohol. I 
I, I realized that I didn't want to put meat inside me anymore either. I mean, it was sort of like, you know, what, why do I want to kill animals? Why, you know, why do I want to, I don't, I don't want to eat my dog. So what, why should I eat I that can pig? see your dog. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why, why do I want to eat that sheep or that pig, you know, sort of. So I mean, there's loads of reasons on why I stopped, stopped uh, eating meat, but sorry. So back to the point. Yeah. So number two is, is, is health. Um, uh, and that, you know, it's just the general, better better feeling you get and then i think thirdly also very important is is connections just that you have just have better relationships with people yeah, yeah. um you see them for what they are and you know you, you don't you don't make up stories or like it's it's there's there's so much bullshit that comes with alcohol um, i mean you know that you see the good in people uh uh and the you know it's all it's and it's a really coined word but authenticity is is a major part of not drinking not just for you but also you see it in others you see you see people's real selves and there's, there's this great sort of saying again in buddhism which is like namaste which means i see you and it, it's great literally say to someone that when you meet them namaste because you i do see people again this sounds a bit woo woo but it's like there is a major spiritual side to this yeah, uh, and I've always been into like star signs and full moons and all that sort of stuff. I've been interested in it, but it's amazing how you do feel connected or one with everything. It just changes everything. I think we talk about a dynamo effect. You know, you stop drinking, you do this one thing, and then you get sober, and then you start thinking, do I really want to eat meat? <laughs> and then you start thinking, maybe I should give this meditation stuff a try. And yeah. gradually, it's like a journey of self-discovery, isn't it? It really is. I used to love baking sandwiches. I, I, could, I couldn't think of anything Me worse. Too. I couldn't think of anything worse now. I'm honestly... Well, it was hangover food, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the weight thing, I think, you know, if you if you stop drinking immediately, well, this is me, I can't talk for anybody else, but literally, you know, I, I probably was saving 7,000 calories a week by not yeah, drinking. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, uh, walking, I'm probably, now I'm, now I'm not drinking, I, I want to walk, so I'm burning probably 5,000 calories a week. So immediately, I've got a 12,000 calorie deficit. So yeah. even if I ate three massive cakes, I would still lose weight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's sort of like a it's a give and take thing really uh, so mm -hmm. i don't i don't eat three massive cakes but i'm just sort of saying you know they they the, the, you lose weight if you stop drinking you just save so many calories and mm -hmm. you want to do you want to move you yeah. want to and also uh you know our bodies are, are so busy getting rid of this toxin when we yeah. drink aren't they they're just busy busy and you know that I think, I mean, for me, nothing happened for six months and then I just lost a couple of, of kilos. But my theory is that our metabolisms don't work well, you know, when we're gumming everything up with, with toxic alcohol. And I think, you know, we get to recalibrate when we're sober. That I can eat anything I want these days and I don't put on weight. And that so wasn't the case when I was a drinker. Oh, God, I'm, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I get back from these sort of 9K, well, they're normally about 10K walks each morning, and I'm I'm absolutely famished. Of course. So I sort of just go in like eat like this huge bowl of cereal. But, you know, it is, it is muesli and bananas and all nuts and stuff yeah. like that. But I really, really enjoy my food now. Uh, yeah. It's not. And you can taste it better. Oh, God, yeah. And it, it's so different. I, I'm not, you know, eating stodge or, or rubbish. It's like you know, you really want to eat fruit, you want to eat vegetables and you want to sort of, you know, 
you know, do eat nice things. I mean, you just don't get pushed into the greasy um, uh, your food sector if you're not drinking. Well, yeah, I, I, and when I, I don't, I can't talk for everybody. I think when we go to restaurants, also as sober people, we, we take an interest in the food. Whereas before, it was for me, it was all about which wine are we drinking. Never mind the food. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, completely. So talk to us about the book, uh, Nigel. When when did you decide to write a book? What was your motivation? So I was about sort of six months into stopping drinking and uh, I'd been experimenting with like running a, a kilometre a day and then I started, after about four months, I started these virtual challenges which were like sort of walking from, I started, I walked from Land's End to John O'Groats which is across the UK virtually so basically every step i took on my which got registered on my iphone would actually count towards a step towards the the virtual journey and i was in a race actually against my sister doing this and um i worked out to win being being a bit competitive that i had to do fifteen thousand steps a day to get to john o'groats before her Fifteen thousand steps works out at about nine kilometers uh, for me uh, and and i had to do it early so i was walking 9k before 9 a.m to get to John O'Groats uh, before my sister. And uh, it just sort of stuck. After about a week, I realized I was walking 9K by 9am. And I thought, well, that sounds like a good brand. So I just I just uh, registered it as a, as a domain name. Uh, I can see it on your baseball cap there, can I? Yeah, and it's become my business now. So so literally, I, I've tied in my, you know, my purpose is to be, you know, a healthy living individual. And so, you know, that's part of my purpose. And, and so... If you can tie your purpose with what you do, then then life is great. So so my business is basically helping others go on a, a journey of alcohol-free living. So as I was walking down these country lanes, I, I literally realized that, God, I just feel so different. And I really need to share how I've done this with other people because I tried for 35 years to get off the hamster wheel of drinking and I just couldn't do it because I was using the wrong techniques. I, I just, I, I was, wasn't doing it right. And as I said earlier on, it's all about changing your beliefs. And so I decided to write it all down and put it in a book um, called Walking Back to Happiness, The Secret to Alcohol-Free Living and Wellbeing. The book, the book basically is, is a journey through the first year of going alcohol-free. So it's got over 75 steps that you can take. So there's like the first section is about getting to day one, you know, getting the right mindset, then going on the journey, which is the first few few days. Then it's like discovering yourself into the first few weeks and months, then, you know, beyond 90 days and then eventually up to a year. So and each of those each of those sections, there's there's all the things that the obstacles you come up against and how to overcome them or how I overcame them. And I think um you know, uh, people reading it, they'll they'll see that it is it is a not just my story of how I did it, but it's a good self help guide of how you can do it as well. And so, I, I, that's the reason why I, I I wanted to write and publish that. And then at the same time, I thought, you know, the only way I can really get to tell that story uh, on a wider scale was to become a coach. And so I, I started a, a diploma in positive psychology and sober sober coaching which i, I i've completed in uh, uh, about three months ago and so i I've, I've launched my business 9km by 9am as a it's a publishing business publishing books on alcohol free living and and helping people through coaching and mentoring by group coaching or one-to-one coaching on, on how, how to do it 
Uh, and then, of course, there's the movement side of it, which is the 9km by 9am challenge. So you can go uh, join us and go out and do your own walks and post them onto the, the social groups. Fantastic. Fantastic. Where can people buy your book? It's, it's available on Amazon and, it, and it's basically in paperback, hardback and Kindle. Just last question, really. If someone's listening to this and they're where we, we were decades ago and really entrenched in that Groundhog Day of daily drinking, what would you say to them? How can they get started? And is it worth all the hard work? How would you inspire them? Oh, God, yes, it definitely is worth all the hard work. Uh, the, the, the best thing to do is, is pick a day and, and, and then go for it. Um, it. It also, it depends, you know, as, for the coaching hat on, I would say it depends how much you drink at the moment. So if you are um, drinking more than middle lane drinking, the way, whereby your drinking has become uh, more of a, not such a psychological addiction, but a physical addiction, then then it's not advisable just to stop straight away. You should seek medical medical help or advice. The normally medical uh, advisors would say wean yourself off. Uh, but re- if you're a middle lane drinker and it's more of a psychological addiction, then then yeah, pick that day and then go for it. Stick with it. Join join a challenge. There's loads of great challenges out there where you can you know be with other people who are actually um, stopping drinking as well. Um, and I would say. You know, it really. I always I, I was use an analogy of like the world is your oyster um, because you know I I, I I think that giving up or stopping alcohol is basically opening up an oyster and inside finding a pearl, and and really it's it's just such an amazing feeling. So I I tried to open so many oysters all my life, but I never found the pearl. But then now this one, uh, it really really is is a game changer. So I'd say go for it. Thank you for the insights, Nigel. Fascinating. Let's pull out some key points. Nigel's first drink was a strong cider at an early age. Obviously, it tasted disgusting to him and he was very sick, which made us reflect on the craziness of forcing ourselves to drink something we hate just so that we can acquire a taste for a horrible tasting liquid. Going to uni was when the party really got started for Nigel. Daily drinking became his pattern. That mix of affordability, availability and the heady feeling of being away from home for the first time. That means the party starts for many of us at this stage in our lives. Nigel developed a career in marketing and PR, a profession where alcohol is baked in as he puts it. It's baked into the job and you just wouldn't climb that career ladder if you didn't take the clients out for drinks or if you didn't let your hair down with your colleagues at the end of the week. That work hard, play hard culture is in just about every corporate that I've ever worked in. Nigel drank for 35 years and certainly identified himself as a drinker. But as he got older, he felt his body was just not coping with it. He was constantly anxious and not sleeping well at all. He began to worry that he wouldn't see his 60th birthday if he carried on like this. Like many of us, Nigel had known for years that he was drinking too much, but he always pushed these thoughts to the back of his mind. He spoke about the tribalism of being a drinker and how hard it is to step away from the tribe. 
Not only do we feel vulnerable and a bit stressed, but our drinking buddies feel that we're holding a mirror to their drinking, so they're not happy either. Let's face it, leaving the drinking tribe is hard. It goes right back to our roots when we had to stay with the tribe for protection. The way to cope with this is, of course, to join a new tribe, a sobriety community. And I must have had this in mind when I called our community Tribe Sober. So if you think it's time to transfer from your drinking tribe to Tribe Sober, then just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Nigel made the decision to quit one morning in December. He'd had many day ones, but never got further than six days in. But this time it was different. This time he approached it from a completely different angle. Rather than seeing himself as a drinker, trying to use willpower to become a non-drinker, he actually rebranded himself as a non-drinker from day one. That's what we call a massive reframe here at Tribe Sober. And it was a game changer for Nigel. He realised that his failure to stop for 35 years was simply because he was using the wrong technique. He explained his technique by using the analogy of a mountain. Rather than starting at the foot of the mountain on day one with a long and intimidated climb ahead of him, he started at the top of the mountain as a non-drinker on day one. And of course he had to work on his belief system to change his identity from drinker to non-drinker. And he did this by adopting the lifestyle of a non-drinker. He got up early, he exercised, he meditated and he lived in the moments. He was doing all the things that a non-drinker would do. He used the power of intention. He had the intention to be a non-drinker. Nigel explained the power of intention with this beautiful sentence. What you intend to do becomes the deed. The deed becomes the habit. The habit becomes the character. And the character can become the destiny. I love that. So well done, Nigel, on such a unique approach that could be very useful to many people. Nigel is two years sober now and he loves his alcohol-free lifestyle. He's in his 50s, but he feels like he's in his 20s. We agreed that sobriety is a superpower. He has three daily goals. Up at 5.30am, walk 9 kilometers before 9am, meditate for 15 minutes and don't drink alcohol. So simple, but so powerful. I asked Nigel for his top three benefits of sobriety. He came out with living in the present, all the health benefits and connecting with people on a much deeper level. We talked about the power of subliminal marketing and Nigel talked about a campaign by Guinness back in the 1950s, which was shamelessly targeting pregnant women, telling them that Guinness was good for the baby. Wow. As a marketing professional, Nigel understands the effect it has on the subconscious mind and how we are in fact groomed to drink alcohol and be a lifelong customer of the liquor industry. We agreed that governments are complicit in this machine, which sometimes feels like a massive conspiracy. But in spite of all this manipulation, Nigel does believe that we can change our beliefs. 
If we think that we can never stop drinking, then that's just another false and limiting belief. All beliefs can be learned and unlearned. And Nigel's written a book explaining just how he did that. His book is called Walking Back to Happiness, available on Amazon. I'm going to put the info in the show notes. And you can find out more about Nigel on his website, which is called 9kmby9am.com. So let me end with a member message from one of our chat rooms. I've picked one from the six month sober group today. When we get sober, we start looking at other aspects of our lives and start wondering if there's anything else that needs changing. We've seen that time and time again in our community. Just listen to Laura. A little update for my tribe. In the last three months, I left my husband, bought a house, moved into a new house, and today I got divorced at court. It's been a wild and emotional roller coaster filled with grief and euphoria. I felt all the feelings and I'm so very grateful to be sober throughout all this. In another life, this could have been a disaster. Imagine the chaos had I been drinking wine every night to cope with it all. Sobriety is what got me to this point, to choose what I really want from my life and to have this clarity is something I'm grateful for every single day. Well, fantastic, Laura. We're all so proud of you. So that's it from me. Don't forget that the code bootcamp is live right now. You can claim 20% discount on annual membership or the kickstart online course. Just go to tribesober.com and you'll find all the info or message Janet at tribesober.com. Thanks so much for listening and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.